0: This book, A Quilt for David, is about David Acker, who was living in a small conservative town in Florida. In 1991, as he was dying, someone claimed that their HIV infection was because of him being their dentist.
1: My parents set me up with playdates of children who had two moms or two dads, and it made me feel like, oh, my family's a little different, but it's okay. I'm not the only one, and it's pretty cool. In school, during Father's Day, I would do something for my grandpa or for my uncle, and then I would do double the work for for Mother's Day.
2: Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Greg Gordon. Repeal of Botswana's queer sex ban is upheld on appeal, A poet laments the persecution of a gay dentist with AIDS in A Quilt for David, and an outcaster with two moms discusses growing pains. All that and more this week, now that you've discovered This Way Out.
3: I'm Wendy Natividad.
4: And I'm Joe Bainline
3: with NewsRep, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the two weeks ending December fourth, 2021. Botswana's Court of Appeal has upheld the repeal of two sections of the penal code that criminalized homosexuality. The government's argument against a 2019 High Court ruling that struck down the queer sex ban was the lack of evidence that attitudes toward LGBTQ people had evolved. But the Five Judge Appeals Panel ruled on November 29th that the statutes banning carnal knowledge of any person against the order of nature and indecent practices between persons indeed violated the right to privacy, the right to liberty, security of person and equal protection under the law, and the constitutional right to freedom from discrimination. In announcing the unanimous decision, Court of Appeal President Ian Kirby said, Those sections have outlived their usefulness and serve only to incentivize law enforcement agents to become keyhole peepers and intruders into the private space of citizens. Private, consensual, adult, same-gender sex had been punishable under statutes established during British colonial rule in the southern African country by up to seven years in prison. Lesbians, gays, and bisexuals of Botswana chair Satunya Moseme told Reuters, This will forever change the landscape of democracy, human rights, and equality in Botswana. Finally, the state will have no business in what two consenting adults do in their privacy.
4: The Supreme Court of Mauritius has heard a challenge to its anti-queer sex laws. 31-year-old human rights activist Abdul-Ridwan Faras Asik is asking the court to overturn an 1838 colonial-era penal code, Section 250, according to the queer South African website Mamba Online. The law punishes those convicted of the crime of sodomy with up to five years in prison. Asiq told the justices, I'm just a normal person, I pay my taxes, I don't want to be considered a criminal. He's supported by the country's oldest and largest LGBTQ rights group, Collectif Arcanciel. Collectif President Muriel Ivan said in a statement, It is our greatest hope that the Supreme Court will relegate this law to the history books and our country can finally live up to its reputation as a rainbow nation where every citizen is treated fairly, equally, and with dignity. ASIC is represented by attorney Gavin Glover, who says that getting the Supreme Court to actually hear the case was a victory in itself. In an interview after the hearing, Glover said, Given the compelling evidence for striking down this law, I think we can be very hopeful for a positive result. Mamba Online reports that a Sikh's next hearing is scheduled for early next year.
3: In India, the Delhi High Court has once again delayed hearing a combination of marriage equality cases, this time because of a request by some of the plaintiffs. They've asked the court to live-stream the proceedings because the decision directly affects nearly 8% of India's population thought to be LGBTQ. They argue that it is consequently an issue of great national importance. The Delhi High Court has given the government until February 3rd to respond to the live-streaming request. The government itself opposes marriage equality. The cases involve same-gender couples seeking to marry and queer couples asking for recognition of their legal marriages performed in other countries. Another plaintiff is a transgender woman who entered into a civil union with her husband in South Africa. Generally speaking, the decision of any regional high court in India applies nationally, unless another court has issued a contrary ruling.
4: Canada's House of Commons approved a bill to ban conversion therapy for minors on December 1st. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's Liberals sponsored the legislation, and Conservative Party leader Aaron O'Toole allowed his caucus to have a free vote on it. But when the vote turned out to be unanimous just two days after it was introduced, many lawmakers on both sides of the aisle were surprised. The Commons erupted in applause. Several liberal cabinet ministers walked across the floor to shake hands with their conservative counterparts. There were even some hugs. An earlier version of the ban on the discredited practice that claims to make queer people straight passed in the House earlier this year. However, the Senate did not consider it before Prime Minister Trudeau called snap elections in September. No timetable for Senate consideration of the reaffirmed House bill has been announced.
3: Hungarian lawmakers overwhelmingly approved a bill this week to hold a public vote on the dissemination of so-called LGBT propaganda, a move likely to intensify Hungary's collision course with most fellow members of the European Union, let alone the distress it will create for queer Hungarians. The referendum will pose such inflammatory questions as whether voters support sexual orientation workshops in schools without parental consent, and whether they believe gender reassignment procedures should be promoted among children. There have already been heated exchanges with the EU threatening to withhold critical funding and Prime Minister Viktor Orban defiantly refusing to rein in his government's anti-queer campaign. Orban has held increasingly autocratic power since 2010, but he's facing his first competitive election in a decade next year. His pro-family credentials are key to Orban's political playbook. When he announced the introduction of the referendum proposal in Parliament, Orban insisted that, our children's future is at stake and we cannot make concessions in this case. No specific date has been set but voters are expected to go to the polls sometime in April.
4: Queer politicians have scored some major firsts in at least four countries. Lena Axelsson Keilbom is a former head teacher and lawyer. The 51-year-old became known as Sweden's super principal after she starred in a documentary about turning around a failing school in one of the country's most deprived areas. She is now Sweden's first transgender cabinet minister, the first trans minister in a Nordic country. A mother of two, Axelsson Kielbaum came out as trans in a 2015 book called Will You Love Me Now? She's been a member of Sweden's school commission since then. On November 30th, she was tapped to be the education minister by Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson on the second day of Sweden's new female majority government.
3: Victor Grajeda has become the first gay deputy in the Honduran legislature. He garnered more than 100,000 votes in national elections on November twenty-eighth. The Central American country also saw the ouster of the conservative National Party government. Local reports suggest that LGBTQ voters for the most part supported opposition Liberty Party standard-bearer Jomara Castro. Her stated support for marriage equality is in stark contrast to the 12-year reign of the nationals, during which anti queer discrimination and hate violence have mushroomed. New Honduran lawmaker Grajeda says that he is looking to open spaces and eliminate discrimination based on sexual orientation or identity.
4: Emilia Schneider has become the first out transgender person to be elected to the National Congress of Chile. The 25 year old former student activist received more than 26,000 votes and will represent a district in Santiago when she's sworn into the Chamber of Deputies in March. Schneider says she hopes to expand rights in a stable and dialoguing manner. Schneider is concerned, however, about the presidential runoff election on December 19th. Other LGBTQ activists are worried, too. Left-wing candidate Gabriel Boric is battling far-right populist Jose Antonio Cast, who topped all candidates on November 21st. Cast was forced into the runoff because no candidate won the required 50% of the vote. Fledgling lawmaker Schneider told Merco Press, The security, dignity, and integrity of the rights of the LGBTQ community and women are at stake.
3: Finally, Nasrul Islam Ritu has become the first elected transgender mayor in Bangladesh. Ritu uses interchangeable she-he pronouns. She's known for helping to build mosques and donating to nearby Hindu temples. He was elected Trulo Champur's mayor on November 28th with nearly twice the votes of her opponent. One supporter in the town of about 40,000 said that he can fulfill the promises she made to us because she has always been a philanthropist, helping people. Mayor-elect Ritu told Al Jazeera, I will dedicate my life to public service.
4: That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude for the two weeks ending December 4th, 2021. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community.
3: News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazor, and brought to you by you.
4: Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of the newscast and much more.
3: And you can read the transcript and listen to News wrap each week by subscribing to our This Way Out radio channel on YouTube. For This Way Out, I'm Wendy Natividad. Stay healthy.
4: And I'm Joe Bainline. Stay safe. This Way Out is supported in part by
1: contributions from our listeners. Some give a little each month. Some make a larger annual contribution. More information and a link to give are online at thiswayout.org. in elementary school. When I was explaining to another girl that I had two moms, she said, I think that's fine as long as they're not married. And I did have to break it to her, but she didn't seem to appreciate that part.
2: Queer parenting from the kids' side. But first, we begin a special three-part series that takes a new look at a familiar theme. December 1st, 2021 marks 33 years of World AIDS
4: Day, an international day dedicated to raising awareness of the AIDS pandemic caused by the spread of HIV infection and mourning those who have died of the disease. This Way Out helps commemorate World AIDS Day with the first in a three-part series, A Quilt for David, by poet, artist, and educator Stephen Rains. Mixed with readings and interviews by the author are actual news reports from the early years of the AIDS epidemic to illuminate the subject. I'm Brian DeShazer.
2: Scientists at the National Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta today released the results of a study which shows that the lifestyle of some male homosexuals has triggered an epidemic of a rare form of cancer. Robert Bazell now in Atlanta.
0: This book, A Quilt for David, is about David Acker who was a dentist living in a small conservative town in Florida. In 1991, as he was dying, uh, someone came forward and claimed that their HIV infection was because of him being their dentist, and said that there was a dental transmission. Then seven other people came forward and blamed him for their infection. And so in that time of great HIV hysteria, it was a story that was believed and he just became um, sometimes given the name of dentist of death. And about 10 years ago, I started thinking about this situation and I've spent the past 10 years researching and writing about it. Two years, 10 months and 29 days, from diagnosis to death, David kept practicing, retired at 40 to die, From diagnosis to death, was scared of small-town rumors and small-town mentality. Retired at 40 to die. He used aliases at doctor's offices hours away from his home. Was scared of small-town rumors and small-town mentality. David said hiding his diagnosis was lonely and isolating. He used aliases at doctor's offices hours away from his home. Kimberly, secretly sexually active, points her finger at David. David said hiding his diagnosis was lonely and isolating. She pointed her finger at him. From diagnosis to death was two years, 10 months, and 29 days. my god, there's this terrible disease. And not only is it terrible, but virtually everybody who gets it dies of it, and it's contagious. And we had horrible, horrible cases all across the country of tremendous hysterical overreaction against AIDS patients. Where to begin about the research? So it started like most of us, when we have a question, as I just Googled it, my, my question was like, what was happening in that dental office? And my first assumption was that a transmission did happen. And I couldn't figure it out, like knowing how HIV is transmitted, like how, how did this happen? In all the articles I encountered, there was so much, they were just loaded with homophobic language and so much AIDS phobia that it was clear to me right away that David Acker never really had a fair opportunity. So David had a Carposy sarcoma and for those of you who don't know it's a lesion that even before there were tests to test if someone was hiv positive um it was it was a sign uh, for most people educated to heal to provide comfort to treat injuries of the mouth there was one you couldn't handle the sole ks sore on the roof of your mouth soon there were four On an evening in May, you carted a dental cartituary home, an electric device used to carterize wounds. In the dimly lit bathroom mirror, you used it to singe your palate. Red hot electrical heat on wet tissue, repeated the procedure, burning each lesion. Dentist, heal thyself.
4: A Quilt for David, written and read by Stephen Rains, published by City Lights Books in 2021. Tune in to A Quilt for David on the next two editions of This Way Out as David Acker's story is revealed.
0: I'm Brian DeShazer for This Way Out.
2: Good news. Good news. Are you signed up for our e newsletter, Inside This Way Out?
0: We send them out every few weeks. Briefly reviewing recent and previewing upcoming programming and deepening the conversation about your favorite international LGBTQ radio show.
2: To receive the occasional Inside This Way Out and let us know you're listening, email us at info at Two Mommies is not just a children's book. A couple of members of the Queer Youth Outcasting Overtime crew hung out off the clock to chat about having two moms in real life.
5: Hi, this is Outcasting Off the Clock, and I'm Isha. Today I'm talking with Rose. Hi, Rose. Hi, Isha. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. And so today we're going to talk about your experience with having two moms. So let's get into it. When was the first time you realized
1: that your family may not look like other families around you? I think I kind of always knew from a younger age that my family looked a little different because I saw other kids my age who had a mom and a dad. But I think what helped was it felt like a normal thing because my parents also set me up with playdates of children who had two moms or two dads. And it made me feel like, oh, my family's a little different, but it's okay. I'm not the only one and it's pretty cool.
5: I think that's really great that you had exposure to families with other gay parents and felt pretty comfortable and not super insecure about it.
1: Yeah, and it also helped that they would read picture books to me with main characters who I'd have two moms. And I felt like they showed a lot of representation in ways like that, which really helped me to feel like I was in a normal situation because it was a normal situation.
5: Yeah, definitely. And I'm pretty surprised when you say that there were children's books that showed gay parents, just because I know that even though I'm slightly older, I didn't expect that there would be children's books with gay representation when we were younger.
1: Yes, I think a lot of books were not published from like major publishing companies, Mm -hmm. and they were kind of smaller projects. But they were still very important to me, and I think a lot of other kids too. So you mentioned that it was pretty cool having two moms What do you think is cool about that experience? I think I just felt different and special. In school, during Father's Day, I would do something for my grandpa or for my uncle, and then I would do double the work for Mother's Day. (laughs) So I think at that age, you know, having something that sets you apart is kind of a fun thing, and it never seemed like a bad thing to me. Were there people around you who thought it was a bad thing? I think for the most part, when I was younger the kids my age were always very accepting and usually at first they would be confused and i would say oh i have two moms and they wouldn't really understand it but i'd explain that they're married and they love each other and things like that and they'd be like oh okay that's cool but then as i got older into the end of elementary school and middle school i think kids with parents who are more on the homophobic side started absorbing the opinions of their parents and being able to spit those opinions back out at me so Around that age range is when I started to hear negative things about something that I had only heard positive or neutral things about. Were there any homophobic experiences that stuck out to you? I think there were a couple of main ones. I think the one that I remember the most is in fifth grade when me and another girl were talking about our parents' ages, she just said something that was very out of pocket that was like, at least I don't have two moms, and it came out of nowhere and really took me by surprise. And then there was another time in elementary school when I was explaining to another girl that I had two moms. And she said, I think that's fine as long as they're not married, which I mean, I personally wasn't hurt by it. It just was another thing that was very surprising. And I did have to break it to her, but she didn't seem to appreciate that part. Yeah, that really doesn't seem fun. Do you remember having any strong reactions to what they said? I think I remember just being confused I was also a lot shyer when I was younger Mm -hmm. so I feel like now if someone said something like that to me I would you know have a much bigger response but at the time I think I was probably very quiet and just like oh okay do you remember maybe having to open up to anyone about these homophobic experiences or did you kind of just keep it to yourself I did tell my moms about one of the incidents, and then some of the others I told them a couple years later. I think I mentioned it to my friends, but I never made a big deal out of it. I just said it in a casual way. So when you told your moms about these experiences a couple years later, what did they think? They were really mad, especially about the one when the girl was saying, "'At least my parents aren't gay.'" They actually called the girl's parents. Well, I think they were called by the school first because my teacher got involved when she heard about it. Mm-hmm. And then they talked to the girl's parents for a long time. And it was also weird with them because we know a thing or two about their politics. And it doesn't really surprise me that they would be homophobic. But they insisted that their daughter did not know the word gay and it wasn't in her vocabulary. And, you know, I heard her say it and she seemed to know what it mean. So it was a very odd experience overall. Do you think anything positive came out of that experience? I think it was kind of the first time that I realized, oh, you know, homophobia does exist in my own life. I had heard about it before and heard about it happening in other places, in other situations. But I think it was a time for me to realize, oh, this can happen here too. So that's not necessarily a positive thing, but I think it was a learning experience. So what I'm hearing from what you're saying is that this was a very eye-opening
5: experience. Have there been any other eye-opening experiences in your life that have shown you that homophobia
1: is very real and is in your life? Yes, actually. I think a couple weeks ago, I was sitting with my friends in our town and two grown men like, were whispering to each other and calling us the F-slur. And that was kind of something that I had never experienced anything like before. So it did take me by surprise. And I think it was also just really weird that two grown men, I think in their 20s or 30s, were saying that. Did either you or one of your friends do anything? No, we just kind of looked away and pretended to not see them because it was a bit of a scary situation. Mm -hmm. Like, they're adults and i think it's sometimes just best to not approach them
5: yeah no i think it is good that you guys avoided getting too involved in that situation just because it could have turned really dangerous super fast
1: yeah i think so too i'm glad it didn't though so how did that whole interaction make you feel it made me feel a little nervous just because it was something that happened in my own Mm -hmm. town and i don't know it's not like we were wearing a pride flag or anything so it was strange that they just guessed that or assumed it from the way we dressed or the way we were talking, which also was a little nerve-wracking. Did you end up telling anyone else about this experience? Yes, I told my mom's. Actually, I think I only told one mm-hmm. mom, but I think the other one will find out by listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> what did one of your moms have to say? Kind of the same thing I said that. It was just really weird.
5: Mm-hmm. Was there
1: a reason why you maybe didn't tell your other mom? I forgot. I think that's honestly the only reason. I was meaning to tell her, but I didn't get to. Did you open up to anyone else other than your moms about this? I think I told a couple of my friends, actually. Not in like a, oh, this is what happened mm-hmm. way, but in but more of a, beware. There are people like that in my town.
5: I'm really sorry that happened to you, and I know that you've mentioned that Your town is pretty small, so it's just like very alarming, as you said, to know that there are people like that who exist within your small town.
1: Yeah, it definitely made me feel pretty uneasy. So, how do you think your reactions to these homophobic incidents have evolved as you've gotten older? I think it's just more of a matter of noticing them. I could easily see myself when I was younger brushing off one of these incidents and not fully realizing what was happening but I think now that I'm older I'm more aware of these things and I can spot them better when they happen. So Rose, in our conversations you've mentioned that you identify as
5: bisexual. How has having two moms affected your own acceptance of your own sexuality?
1: I think it just made me realize this is okay, this is normal. They raised me and I think I'm pretty normal and It just made it feel like something that I would always be accepted for. And that was the case, which I'm very thankful that I grew up in such a welcoming and accepting environment.
5: I'm so happy to
1: hear that. And it's so great to hear that just because
5: as we've heard from our fellow outcasters and even in the media, some people are not as lucky to have accepting families. So I think that's really great. Yeah, I think so too. So Rose, this has been super fun, and thanks so much for talking to me. Thanks for having me, I had a lot of fun too. This is Outcasting Off The Clock, and I'm Isha, talking with Rose,
2: Thanks for choosing This Way Out, brought to you by the Nonprofit Overnight Productions. Some program material this week came from Wendy Natividad and Joe Bainline, produced by Brian DeShazer, from Brian DeShazer, and from Outcasters Isha and Rose, produced by Mark Sofas Thanks also to Michael Taylor Gray. Sam Cook, and Tracy Marie Howia performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This Way Out thanks to Kicking Assets Fund of the Tides Foundation, the Yavanna Foundation, a bequest from Christopher David Trentum, and donors David Hunt and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For Associate Producer Lucia Trappella and all of us at This Way Out, I'm Greg Gordon. We thank you for listening. Online at thiswayout.org and on KMUN, Astoria, Oregon, WTND, Makeham, Illinois, CHMA, Sackville, New Brunswick, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned.